Well, good morning. It is so good to see each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. For those of you in person, for those of you gathered online, just, I just want to celebrate as we think about the teachings of Jesus and continue in this series called The Parables. But as we begin our conversation this weekend, I think it's so important for us to acknowledge that the horrific events of the past couple of days have once again reminded us that there's a desperate need for goodness in our world. Desperate. Sadly, the absence of goodness has been tragically demonstrated right now by the violent and aggressive and deadly aggression of Putin and Russia against the people of Ukraine and, of course, as all bad and evil behavior, whether it's in the small and our daily choices and our daily relationships and environments, or the large, like we're seeing exemplified on the world stage these days, all bad and evil behavior is motivated in the end by selfishness and greed. I mean, God tells us in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that rage and battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight, you war. But in the end, you do not have because you do not ask God. You don't put God at the center. Like Jesus said, everybody warring for all these things, but you just need to seek first God and His kingdom and His ways, and He'll bring those things into alignment. And so in the end, the only solution is to do just that, to look to and to trust God to meet our needs, to put Him at the center. 
And this, in the end, is what our world and world leaders need more than anything else, which is what led Paul in his world of violence and his world of evil leaders, so evil that he was ultimately put to death by them. And yet he wrote this to encourage us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, yes, for kings and all those in authority, not the good, the bad, the violent, the aggressive, those expressing their authority and their leadership in ways that defy everything that God has designed humanity for. Pray for them that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who in the end wants the same thing no matter what's going on in the world, he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what he wants for the people of Ukraine and the leaders of Ukraine and Russia and the world. And so as a church family, I believe it's vital that we do what we've been encouraged to do. That as a part of our gathering this weekend, we all pray together here in person and online, for the people and leaders of Ukraine, for the people and the leaders of Russia, for the people and leaders of the world right now. So would you join me? Jesus, it's in moments like this when the world is out of control that we have to acknowledge and comes to grips with the fact that in all moments, at all times, good and bad, we're, we have no control. We don't control what happens on the world stage. We don't control what happens in our own little world stages, but we know you and you're the God that's in control. Yes, you've given freedom of choice and people exercise it in so many evil and bad ways, but you control the banks of the river in which the freedom is being expressed. You never let anything happen that will change the flow of the river that's leading to what you have planned for us, your kingdom, your goodness, your grace. And I just ask God that you'd pour out your grace and your peace and your strength to the people of the Ukraine, to those who have lost so much already and to the losses yet to come, that you'd give wisdom, that you'd change the hearts of the aggressors and that you would bring about something that would help more and more people come to the saving knowledge of your love and your grace. We, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We do it for the kings and for those in authority and for the people because you've told us to and we believe that you'll always do right and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was kind of surprising to me, but it shouldn't have been, that God has led us on this particular weekend following the eruption of such chaos on that side of the globe that he has led us to the parable of the sheep and goats. 
I didn't rearrange the order for this weekend to make it fit. This is how he led us to arrange it long ago because it was his intention that we focus on this because the entire focus of this parable is on what our world so desperately needs. Goodness. And to begin, I, I think that the best way to enter this story is just to share it as Jesus himself shared it and as it's been given to us. And then we can talk about its meaning and impact in our lives. But in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the kings will say, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous, the sheep on his right, will answer, Lord, when, when did we do that? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, well, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he'll say to those on his left, the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, and I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I, I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did that happen? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I have to tell you, it's just a very blunt and forthright and almost harsh story. I have to tell you right up front, it's not my favorite story in the Bible. Because as poetic and beautiful as it is, it points out how unpoetic and how unbeautiful my story has been and who I am. It's the kind of story that people in my position like to avoid because it's You know, it makes people feel at tension with themselves and have to face themselves, me included. 
It's why Jesus, though multitudes were attracted to his miracles, most of those multitudes left him because he would just get to the core of the reality of who we as people are, and it can create tension, and this story does. Because here's the truth it's ultimately communicating. There is coming a day when God's judgment will separate the good from the bad. There's coming that day. I mean, he said it, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and sits on his glorious throne, he's going to separate people, the good from the bad, as sheep from goat. And you know, on the surface of it, before you get into the story, you go, you know, that's what we want. In fact, think about how much we as human beings whine that there's no justice. It seems like people who do wrong and evil and so much injustice in this world aren't being held to account, and we want them held to account. There's no justice in this world, and we cry about it, and we riot about it, and we go nuts about it because we want justice. We want justice. But then Jesus tells the story and says, I'm going to come and give justice, but know this, it's not just the people that you think are unjust, it's also going to be you. We all want justice for the person that's worse than us, we just don't want justice for us. But Jesus says, when I come, it's coming for everybody, and he'll separate the good from the bad. In spite of how it seems today that people are getting away with whatever they're doing and not being held to account, God is holding all of us accountable. And the outcomes for those that he defines as good and bad will be incomprehensibly different. As he says in this story, only the good will experience God's commendation, God's pleasure, God's eternal blessing. And only the bad will experience God's condemnation, God's promise of eternal punishment. So, of course, the question is always, which side are we on? Sheep or goat? Usually, most of us would be looking around saying, who are the goats? And I'm not talking Tom Brady. That's the goat. Who are the sheep? And usually, don't we do this? Usually, we kind of, anyone who's like us or better, sheep, anyone who's not quite up to us and down, goat. But then Jesus tells us this story. And I have to tell you right up front, this story's not going to leave you feeling good, celebrating life, glad that you did whatever work you did to come or to gather with us online, but just know I won't stop with the story. I'll also go to what else Jesus said, because he didn't just give us a story and then disappear. He also gave us solutions to what we find in this story, and you need both. But to really understand this story, and so many people misunderstand it, sadly. To really understand this story, you need this one critical note. The story does not focus on how a person becomes good, becomes a sheep. This story 
of the sheep and the goats focuses on what a person is like when they are good and when they are already a sheep. You see, in this story, Jesus is giving us a standard by which we can evaluate our lives. He's not leaving us in the dark. It's kind of like, have you ever bought a new printer and then before you can use it or when you put new ink into an old printer, before you use it, you have to print out that test page? Ever done that? And you know what it does? It lines up all those things and if it's not done right, all the lines are like this. It's like, oh no. And then it's supposed to line up. That's what this story is for us. He's saying everybody's wondering who's the good and who's the bad, who the sheep and who the goats are. I'm going to tell you a story. And he wants us in this story to use it as a test for how we're lining up. And I'm going to tell you right on the front end, I don't line up really well. And I'm going to tell you on the front end, you don't either. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at lessons from inside this story which give us the portrait of what a good person is like. And then after we finish this story, I'm going to give you some lessons from outside the story to relieve the tension, to give you hope, to overcome the despair that comes when you see yourself on this story. And and we're going to then look at lessons from outside the story that Jesus has given us that give us the pathway to becoming what we're not by nature, good. Is that fair? So you're going to have to deal with the tension. You're going to have to suck air. Some of you are going to need a paper bag to stop your hyperventilation. I mean, seriously. Some of you are going to need to go to the bathroom very badly in the middle of this story. You're going to want to escape it if you can. But if you don't face the truth of this story, you'll never experience the eternal blessing that Jesus wants for you in the life of a sheep. But first, you have to face this down. Lessons from inside the story. The portrait of a good person. It's pretty easy to see it in this story. Let's just walk through it quickly. Jesus tells us in the story that a good person is defined by good works. They're defined by it. It's the defining reality of their life. Good works. They're the people who see someone hungry, not when people are watching, but when they see someone hungry and feed them, when they see someone thirsty and give them a drink. You know, someone's invisible in prison and they go and visit them. I mean, th these people are defined by good works. And, of course, good works are unselfish acts that help others, whether those acts are seen or not. It also shows us clearly what bad works are. Bad works are selfish acts, things done for self-benefit, whether they are seen or not, whether they are good for others or not. And the truth is you can do something that's really bad that looks really good. I've done a lot of that. It looks so good to other people what I'm doing. But in my heart I'm doing it for me and for my advancement, and for my benefit, and for my good, and to get my gold star from God, and I don't care a lick about that person or that need. It's all about me, but it sure looks good. Ever seen that in your life? 
That's not the good person. The good person is defined by good works. Jesus tells us here in the story, a good person does not keep score. We've already seen this in one of his stories, but here it is again. The good person doesn't keep score. And I have to tell you right up front, I just ran that test page. I do. And by the way, when I look at you, I know I'm ahead. But see, that doesn't make me a sheep. That makes me a goat. That's not what a good person does. A good person doesn't keep score. So I think I'm ahead. You think you're ahead. But in thinking we're ahead, we're way, way, way behind. I mean, Jesus says it so clearly. The righteous are going to answer. When did that happen? You're telling us we fed you and we gave you drink and we visited you. When did that happen? It's so natural for the good person to do these good works that they don't even realize that they've done them. They're not keeping score. You know what's sad about my life? I bet you I can list almost every single good thing I've ever done. Been married 42 years. Roxanne says three. She's keeping score too. You know, it's like... It's so natural for the good person to be good that they don't keep score. So they're not doing it for brownie points. They're not doing it so when they get to heaven they can say, okay, put the scale out, God, and I think I have one little bit of weight more on the good side in. It's not how it works. A good person, Jesus tells us in the story, is motivated by love, not duty. And I have to tell you, I've done a lot of good things, but almost always motivated by the wrong thing, either for my own benefit or duty. I have to do this because, my gosh, I don't want to be the goat. You know, Jesus said it. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, not to get attention, not because you thought I was proud, but because you're good, you actually were doing it for me. A good person is motivated by love, not duty. Here's the reality. Love is the only genuinely sustainable motivation. Guilt's not a sustainable motivation. Now, there's a problem in that. Guilt's about the only thing that ever motivates us to do something good. Do you know most people, me included, First time we came into a church setting, you know why it was? The guilt was so big we had to somehow relieve the pressure. Some of you are here right now saying, I'll even go and listen to that jerk Brad Powell if I can get rid of this guilt. I'll even go into church. But then, over time, you think, I've paid my dues. I've overcome the guilt, the guilt starts to subside, and then what do you do? You're no longer motivated. Guilt's not a sustainable motivation. Since I've been the pastor of this church 32 years, I've seen tens of thousands of people come in, and tens of thousands of people leave. They come in all guilty and looking for hope, think they found a little bit of it, and then when the guilt starts to subside, what do they do? They go back to life as it was. 
Because guilt's not a sustainable motivation. Duty's not a sustainable motivation. It comes up empty every time. But love is, and a good person is motivated by love. Are you? I remember when I was a young married. I loved Roxanne enough to say I do. But I didn't love her enough to do everything that she thought would be good for me to do. But then I found that when I didn't do the things that she thought, and she's fairly tolerant, but the things that she thought would be good for me to do, when I didn't do those things, she knew how to make me suffer. And have you ever found that to be true in any relationship? Yeah. And so I'd say, what do I have to do so you never get upset like this before? All I want you to do is love me. I said, I want to know what I have to do. See, I wanted to know the duty I had so I never had to suffer Roxanne's wrath anymore. But that's not a quality relationship. What she was right. You should love me enough to care about what hurts me, what doesn't hurt me, what helps me, what I need. And a good person is motivated by love. Are you? All right. Have you fallen short yet? If you haven't, you're amazing. Jesus tells us in the story a good person focuses on helping others, not advancing themselves. Now, the truth is, many people focus on advancing themselves, and they know to do that, they have to help others. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a good person helps others, even if it hurts their cause, even if it sets them back, even if it takes them backwards, even if it robs them. A good person focuses on helping others, not advancing themselves. We human beings aren't like that. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll love you if you love me. But the minute you stop loving me the way I want you to, I'm not going to love you anymore. Isn't that the world that we live in? Sure it is. I'll love you until we die unless you don't love me until you die. And then I'm going to stop loving you way, way, way before I die. But a good person focuses on helping others, not advancing themselves. He said it in verse 40 already, but look at outside, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That's a good person. That's a sheep. In this story, Jesus teaches us that a good person serves the least, the nobodies, the nothings of this world as passionately as they serve the greatest the somebodies, the celebrities of this world. He said it in verse 40, but he says it again in James 2.1, my brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And yet it's natural for us to want to be seen and to be celebrated by a somebody, isn't it? These are the pictures we hang on our walls. I'm not going to go into it, but I've had the privilege of meeting some of the world's big somebodies, highlights of my life. Well, this says a good person sees it as the highlight of their life to help any person. 
Genuinely good works aren't about doing things that jazz us and build us up and inspire us and excite us. Genuinely good works are about meeting the needs of others, the least of these. Great example is what's going on with our, many in our church family this weekend. You saw it in a video earlier. We're, we're investing in foster care bags. You don't even know this, you know. About 11,000 kids every year are yanked out of their homes because they're being abused, misused, or neglected. And all they get is a couple of their things, if they have that, with a black garbage bag, and they go out feeling like that's the definition of their lives. We don't know that. Those are the least of these. So a team of our ministry said, why don't we give them bags filled with personal belongings that will help them to know that they might feel like the least of these, but they're valued and they're loved and they're cared for. They're the least of these, but we can help them by simply giving them a bag that says you're valuable. Wow. But you won't get a picture on your wall that people say, whoa, you got to do that. That's what good people do. That's what the good heart does. A good person in this story, Jesus tells us, seeks to do good works, not great works. And this isn't how we are made up naturally. He didn't say... Wow, are you good? You're sheep because you built a hospital. No, he says, you're good if you saw someone who was hurting and you helped them. But what do we celebrate? Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's supposed to when we're really God's workmanship, when we've really been created in Christ Jesus, when we've really been redeemed, we, when we're really sheep, we, we do good works. It's the natural part of what he puts in us. It's about seeking to please God. It's not about seeking to be considered great. It's about honoring God, not about building a legacy for ourselves. Uh, the world's suffering greatly right now under one crazy man's desire to leave a legacy. Putin said it in the early 2000s, I want to leave the legacy of restoring the greatness of the Soviet Union. Destroying lives for his legacy. And that's what always happens. It doesn't happen on a big scale. It happens on a small scale. Do you know in all of our lives, when we're living for our own legacy, we're discarding everything of real value in our lives? We're not sheep. We're goats. We get really mad at Putin because he destroys a multitude. Why don't we get mad at ourselves when we're destroying the things around us? Build a hospital, everyone notices. Nurse a sick spouse... And almost no one notices, and most people don't even care. But which is the good person? A good person doesn't do good to be great, to impress others. A good person does good to please God, because it's right. And he or she loves him. All right, I, I just ask you to take the paper out of your 
your life's printer and look at it. Sheep? Goat. I'm the goat. Not the greatest of all time. More like one of the worst of all time. How are you doing? If you're like me, you're, you're left in the story. You want to avoid this story. I had someone tell me today, actually, that for, wow, it's the first time I've heard that story and I've been exposed to most of this stuff. And it's, yeah, this isn't, this isn't the favorite story to tell. This isn't the favorite story to preach. This isn't the favorite story to highlight. Why don't we do Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Woo! Because you'll never know the Lord as your shepherd until you understand you don't deserve him to be your shepherd, until you understand that you're by nature a goat. Until we hear the truth of this story, we can never entertain the truth of the redemption story, the forgiveness story, the Jesus story. So if from lessons inside the story, you're looking at the portrait of goodness and you're going, uh-oh, I'm a goat, it's exactly where you need to be when you hear Jesus give that story because then you're ready for lessons from outside the story that he's given us, the pathway to becoming a good person. What's the pathway to becoming a sheep? What's the pathway to hope? Well, let, let me share what he said. It starts with understanding that a person is not born good. Persons are born cute, but not good. Anyone who's ever been a parent knows what I just said is absolutely true. They're born cute and bad. Psalm 51.5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We're not born good. We're not born sheep. Romans 3.10, as it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does sheep work, not even one. Not one. How many? Not one. We're not born good. I've asked people, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Oh, yeah. Well, when did that happen? I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. And then, if you're going to learn the lessons from outside the story that Jesus gave you so that you can be the sheep, ultimately, in the end when he comes, you have to understand that a person doesn't become good by being good. It's not how it happens. Romans 3.20, therefore, no one. How many? That was, okay, but let's do it again. Therefore, how many? No one will be declared righteous, good in his sight by observing the law. 
you don't become good by being good. And that's where a lot of people are in church. I'm here because I'm trying to be good. And I'm giving because I'm trying to be good. And I'm serving. I'll go give to those foster bags. I'm trying to be good. I'm, try I'm trying to be good. That's great. But being good is not how you become good. Another example, James 2.10. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. I'm a goat. What are you? So we're not born good. We can't become good by being good. Trying to be good is like just changing your clothes. It changes how you look, but it doesn't change who and what you are. And so we, you know, we change our religions. I, I'll become Catholic. That'll do it. Or I'll become Baptist. I'll become Methodist. I'll, we change our religions, and it changes how we look, but it doesn't change who we are inside, which is why we're still so filled with darkness, because we know we're a goat. And then we give up on all that, and we say, oh, well, Religion doesn't work. In fact, religion's the problem. And then we change our clothes and become an atheist. Now we're smart. Now we're intelligent. We change our clothes. We look different, but we aren't different. We're still filled with guilt. We're still filled with shame. We're still filled with dysfunction. We just change in the outside. But it doesn't change the inside. There's actually, you want the last lesson from outside the story, the pathway to being a sheep? There's only one way a person becomes good. There's only one way a person becomes a sheep. There's only one way a person receives God's well done, thou good and faithful sir. There's only one way. They must be born again. Who said that? The one who taught the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus. In fact, a really religious guy wearing really religious clothes came to him named Nicodemus and said, you know, a bunch of really religious stuff. And Jesus just looked at him. He cuts, Jesus just cut through all the junk. And he said in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can be a sheep. You're all going to be goats unless they're born again. Because here's the problem. We're not born good. We can't become good by being good, which means we're stuck as the goat. And you say, I'm not a goat. I'm not a goat. I'm not a goat. Well, this is what a goat does. You're a goat, so am I, on my own. But Jesus made it possible for us to be born again. He lived the life of a sheep Jesus is the only one that ever lived the life of a sheep. And then, the wages of sin is death. He died the death of goats and was buried and rose again so that we could be born again as God's children, as his workmanship, as sheep. Born again, how? Born again in Christ alone. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
It doesn't say if anyone is in church, if anyone's been in water, if anyone's been in communion, if anyone's, you know, been in service, if anyone's been giving and generosity. No, if anyone's in Christ, they can be born again. Are you? If you're going to be born again in Christ, it must be by faith, not by works, because you can't become good by doing good works, but you can become good in Christ by faith. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Isn't it about time that you shed your religious clothes or your irreligious clothes and you just come humbly to Jesus and let him change you on the inside? Isn't it time you stop caring how you look to others and you start caring about who you are before God? Isn't it about time that you let Jesus change you from a goat to a sheep, from a lost child to a child of God? This is the moment. So just before I give you the last thought that we're going to have in our conversation, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? This isn't something where I'm going to ask you to move or stand or say something out loud. This is where I'm just going to ask you and invite you to take my words in this prayer and make them yours to God in your heart. Where you just say, Jesus, I, I'm a goat. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. But you died on the cross for me and rose again to give me new life. And so I'm giving you my sin and guilt. And by faith, I'm claiming your forgiveness and new life. Make me one of your sheep, a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I just want to encourage you, let us know. We'd love to send you a New Testament Bible. We'd love to send you next steps you could take. We just have to know. So all you have to do is text us. Text us the name of our church, Northridge, to 31616. And you'll get a link from us. Fill that out. Tell us how we can get the information to you. Send it back to us, and we'll get that to you. But for the rest of us, you know what we have to do if we're really going to live the life of sheep and experience the benefits of of him pouring goodness through us, we have to keep growing in Christ and growing in faith. Keep growing in Christ and growing in faith. And that only happens as we keep investing ourselves in his truth and in his word. And so, if you'd like help to start growing, we want to support you. And you might want to consider participating in a devotional that many of our church family are going to start this coming week. It's called A Journey to Easter. And each week through Easter, we're going to be distributing a devotional, and you can pick one up this weekend here at Plymouth. Just go out of the auditorium into 16th Central, and they'll have a place where you can pick that up, and, and you can just be a part of growing in Christ, in faith, so that you can start living the life of what Jesus created you to be, one of his sheep.
Now, here's the application. We can know, because this is the whole deal. It's why he gave us the story. We can know where we're going to stand before God at the judgment. A lot of you say, you're going to be there, you're going to be on his right or his left. You're going to be sheep or you're going to be goat. What's going to happen when Jesus comes to you? We can know where we'll stand before God at the judgment. Do you know how? By how we're living today. He's not going to say, hey, back in 1967, did you say a little prayer? Hey, you, back in 2022, did you get baptized at that Northridge church? Oh, thumbs up, gold star, dude. Get on my right. He's going to say, were you living as I made you? We are Christ's workmanship, created to do good works. We all know where we're going to stand before God of judgment by how we're living today. You living like a sheep or a goat. I'm not saying what were you born as, you were born a goat. I'm not saying what, do you, what are you naturally, goat. I'm not saying, have you lost all your goat tendencies? No, I haven't either. But is the sheep coming out? But. Look at Matthew 7, verse 17. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's a... God just said in my heart, never do that again. No, I didn't. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 and 20. This is what Jesus says. Likewise, every good tree bears what kind of fruit? Good fruit. Sheep bear sheep fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. And then he said it, not me. This is what he said. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. When people know you, do they see a sheep or a goat? If they see a sheep, it's only because you are right now in Christ by faith, letting him love through you and forgive through you and live through you and be good through you. I will never be good, but Jesus will always be good. And the question is, how much of me does Jesus have how much of you does he have? We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.